Um, that's where we are. And this morning, the, the title of the sermon is Dealing with Discouragement. Because part of what you will experience as you reconstruct things in your life, rebuild things in your life, is that you're going to have seasons of discouragement. And how you deal with those discouragement will determine sometimes whether the construction or the rebuilding will actually be completed or not. You have to be able to, to manage and deal, like, like the title says, deal with your discouragement. All right? The key text is Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, we'll just read from verse 7 to uh, uh, verse 11. Let's, let's do that from verse 7 to 11. Uh, no, let's read from verse 7 to 14. Yeah, let's, let's, read, let's read the entire book of Nehemiah. I'm just, all right, just, just sorry, I'm just, Nehemiah 4 from verse 7 to 14. If you have your Bibles, just, just stand with me. We stand for the reading of God's word. We honor his word by standing for the reading of it. Come on, just lift your Bibles up. If you're ready, your Bible um, this week, just lift it up. If you have not, still lift it up because... I want you to declare that you're going to read it. Amen? Come on, lift your Bibles up and declare with me that this is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, my ears are open, and I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remain standing as I read for you. It says, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain, the workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build a wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the, in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious. And fight. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you and we bless you for your word. Open our eyes to see your truth. Our ears to hear your voice. Our minds to understand your word. We thank you that we have a blessed assurance this morning. That when the enemy comes in, we can remember our Lord. Great and glorious. And we can fight knowing that our God is for us. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We give you the glory, Lord God. This is your time. This is your word and your people. Let your will be done and your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. You may be seated. See, the, uh, the, 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 uh, recently I heard this, that the devil had an auction. So he decided to sell all his tools. Um, so loss had a very high price on it. So did pride. Very expensive. Arrogance was going at a very high price as well. 
Envy was even at a higher price. Bitterness was sold for more than a pretty penny. But one tool was off to the side. And that tool had written on it, not for sale. And that tool was discouragement. For whatever reason, he wasn't going to sell discouragement. Because he believed that it is the one tool that he will always have use for. So as the people of God were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the men of Judah became very discouraged. They were discouraged. Have you ever been like that? You started something, you're doing well, and then something is said and something is done, some event takes place, and all of a sudden, discouragement seeps in where seldom is heard a discouraging word you couldn't sing this about the people of jerusalem at this point they were discouraged at this point and so what we're going to do is look at the text and look at three c's in the text the curse of discouragement the cause of discouragement and then we're going to talk about the cure for discouragement so if you are discouraged, I want to show you what causes it. Or you can look out for the cause and so say you probably don't get discouraged. And if you are already discouraged, I want to offer you a cure to the discouragement. So let's begin by looking at the curse of discouragement. It is a curse. But not only that, discouragement is the number one tool the devil uses to try to get us out of the game of life. The enemy wants us out of the game. And he uses discouragement. You're not good enough. You're not qualified. You're not there yet. You're going to fail. You will never make it. You're wasting your time. He uses these things to get us out of church. He uses these things to get us out of marriages. He uses these things to get us to give up on life. So just tell the person beside you. Say, stay in the game. I know, I know it may not be easy, but you have to stay in the game. Because if you get out, you have already lost. Stay in the game. Because as long as you're playing and God is on your side, victory is assured. So stay in the game. Discouragement is the number one tool of the enemy. He tries to discourage people in their finances. Even people who tithe faithfully. He discourages and people with their children, even though they bring their children up in church. He discourages people through problems in ministry at church, though people are serving faithfully. He even uses physical problems to discourage people. It happens. And all of us will or may have experienced discouragement. You know why? Because discouragement doesn't discriminate. Even the best Christians at times are under its power. Because discouragement doesn't discriminate. It don't look at your longevity in the kingdom of God. Or it doesn't look at your church membership. It doesn't look at your financial power. It doesn't look at your uh, position in life or your possession in life. It doesn't discriminate. It don't matter if you're white or black. It doesn't matter if you're rich are poor. Discouragement doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're married or engaged or divorced. It doesn't matter if you're old or you're young or you're going through midlife crisis. Discouragement just, just happens. In fact, two of the great preachers that we read and hear about John Wesley, he said he was so depressed and despondent at times that his wife would have to pull him around the house to get him going. Grab his ear and pull him all over the place because he just felt like I couldn't go on. Charles Persian, they call him the prince of preachers. He was given to depression and discouragement. And this is what he said. I would not wish upon my worst enemy the depths of despair and discouragement I often feel for weeks or months at a time. It doesn't. Presidents and prime ministers experience it. But I want you to again look at the scripture. Because if you don't look carefully, you're going to miss what happened. We start in verse 10. 
The first three words are so in verse 10 says this. Then the people of Judah. I want you to understand that this, this is very important, right? It started, come on, just say this with me. It started with Judah. Alright, that's revelation right there. That's it. Like, like, you could leave church on that. The problem of discouragement started with Judah. Why is that important? Judah was what they call the chief tribe. The leaders among the nation. Anything that was going on, Judah was supposed to lead. Judah was known as the people who praise God. They were the praisers. So when there was battle, the, the Judites would go out front. The praisers and the worshippers would go. They were the, tree, the, the, the lion of the tribe of David is from Judah. The scripture said, this is good. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The people who were supposed to be praising started complaining. When praisers begin to complain, discouragement seeps in. If you can get the people who are supposed to be praising God to be complaining about God's work, discouragement is going to creep in. They were the cream of the crop. It was there that it was these people who said, we can't do it, we can't continue. The workers are getting tired and there is too much trouble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. The people who were supposed to be the ones singing and praising in the midst of everything started complaining and criticizing. Not able to do it. It's amazing. So if you are discouraged, don't feel bad. Because even the leaders in our story were discouraged. So being discouraged don't make you a bad Christian. You're not a bad Christian because you get discouraged. You're a bad, dis- bad Christian when you stay discouraged. If you don't find a way to get back to praise, it's a problem. In spite of what is going on, you have to get back to praising God. Because when you stop praising, two things happen. You start complaining and you start criticizing. If you wake up in the morning praising God, if you, if you live your day praising God, you will have less things to complain about. I guarantee you. And the less you complain, is the more encouraged you will be. It, it is when you begin to understand that all things work together for my good. It is when you begin to understand. It's then you begin to understand. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Because that is dispelling the notion of being discouraged. Your praise will kill discouragement. Amen? But, but, but sometimes when we, we come into God's kingdom, we think this is the end of troubles. And so we have been sold a gospel that says get saved and your troubles will go away. It is not true. When you get saved, your troubles increase. Because through trials and tribulation, you enter into the kingdom of God. Right? Salvation, if you want trouble, get saved. Because it doesn't get easier. The, The difference though is that now God is on your side to help you up, to stretch you and cause you to go through all the trouble. You see, maybe you wanted it the easy way. You wanted to get saved and to be taken out of here. Straight into heaven. Or you want heaven on earth. Many people got saved because they expected to have heaven on earth. Or they, got, they get to heaven. But Jesus carried his cross before he was glorified. You must carry your cross as well. And that means... Troubles will come. But God is with you. So stay encouraged in the Lord. It doesn't discriminate. Discouragement is also debilitating. It will stop you dead in your tracks. 
No matter how mighty and powerful you are, if you get discouraged, you get stopped in your tracks like immediately. You become a work in stagnation instead of a work in progress. And that is why anyone can do more than a man who has lost heart. You lose heart, I mean, you have, you have lost the battle. The worst person you want to be fighting with on your side is somebody else who has lost heart. They're going to leave you alone. The story is told uh, about um, a horse-drawn wagon. And a man was hauling logs. And so he had a long journey to go and was doing well. The horses were doing well. On a hill, the horses couldn't make it. And they gave up. It was so heavy. So the man unloaded half the wagon. But still the horses wouldn't try. The man went ahead and emptied the wagon completely. But still the horses wouldn't try. They had given up. They were utterly discouraged. So they gave up. And they wouldn't even try. And there are people around us like that today. You know what? They were, they were, they were going through life. And they were carrying some stuff. And it was too heavy for them to bear. And though God by his grace has lifted the burden. Here's what is happening to them. They are so discouraged. That though the heavy burden has been lifted by God. They don't have the courage to carry on anymore. We're like that horse. And the weight has been lifted. But, but, but while we had the weight, we got so discouraged that we don't feel like even going a step further. Some of us do this with marriages, some with children, some with churches. But that's not what God wants. God wants us to stay in the game. Come on, tell your neighbor again, say, stay in the game. He wants us to put our shoulder to the wheel, to keep on trying. And to keep on trusting. You have to stay in the game. Keep on making small steps. And, and keep going forward. Keep trusting God. Keep believing God. The second thing we're going to look from the text and see. What caused this discouragement? And how we get discouraged by these same things in our life. If you go back to verse 10 and verse 11 again. Of the text. It says then the people of Judah began to complain. Right? The workers were getting tired. So let me pause here and help you. They got tired. So we get discouraged when we are worn out. Or when we are tired. Tired people are going to get discouraged. And that is why rest is important. Come on, tell anybody. Say to them, you need rest. Come on, act seriously, you need to tell them. Just, just, just very, very seriously say, you need rest. I'm going to tell you how I know because God rested. He never slumbers, he never sleeps, but he rests. So there's a difference between, here's the thing, there's a difference between sleeping and resting. Amen? Do you know that you can sleep and not be rested? And you can rest and not be sleeping. But sleeping is a form of resting. But resting is not a form of sleeping. Because many people have sleep, they think they are resting. But when they wake up, they are still tired. You are sleeping, but you are not resting. And if you are not resting, you are going to get worn out. And when you get worn out, you are going to get discouraged. And when you get discouraged, you're going to stop. And when you stop, you're going to stop on something important. And lives will be affected. You see the cycle that the enemy uses? They had been working hard. But still, things weren't going anywhere. They're doing a lot of work, but they felt like nothing was being accomplished. Have you ever heard of hard-working people accomplishing nothing? Yes! I mean, hey, man... It's like the man on the treadmill. How far have you gone? 
Well, I've been running for one hour now. That's why I don't like treadmills. I like going out. Because you ain't moving. You're moving faster than me, but you're in the same place. That's madness. If you're going to run, run somewhere. Think, think about it. What is the point? Of <laughs> Where are you going? Nowhere. <laughs> In. Come on. Get out of the house. So they lost their zest for the work. How do we know that? If you go to verse 6. Here's what verse 6 says. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. For the people that worked with enthusiasm. Entheos in God. That, that's where you get the word enthusiasm from. Up to halfway point, the people were in God doing the work, feeling enthusiastic. Yes, everything was going great. And they got to halfway. It was halfway done. That's where we often get discouraged when we're in the thick of things. Like, like it's like you're leaving out on a journey. And you're excited to get on it. And they say, well, we're taking you to, I don't know, we're taking you to this nice resort somewhere. And they told her, well, it's a couple of hours. You know, when a Jamaican tell you a couple of hours, it's not necessarily two. It could be 20. Because we kind of use numbers differently. So when we say one, we could mean a hundred. When we say couple, we could be talking about 25. So when they say a couple of hours, it doesn't necessarily mean who hours? Alright? So they see a couple of hours and you get to a couple of hours. How far are we? Are we there yet? No. Just, just, and they will say to you, around 10 minutes. When 10 minutes come and you don't get there, they, say, they, they stop using time number now. They use word for time. Soon. Are, yeah man, in a little while. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a, the change from number to words to describe the next stage. And you get to this place and you feel like, man, I just want to turn back. I didn't know it was going to be this long. I can't bother with this long journey. And it is bumpy. It is in the midway point because you started out with a lot of enthusiasm. That's how life is. I mean, most people on the wedding day and the honeymoon are very excited. But after five years, you feel like, I need to reverse and go back to the I do and say, I don't want to. But in the beginning, everything was good. That's how it is. The midway point is where many people get tired and discouraged. When, when, when do you get tired of your car? When it's about halfway paid for. Right? When does marriage get old? Halfway through somewhere between I do and you better. Right? When is school the most boring? Beginning right after lunch. Right? Where are we at in the sermon? About halfway through. <laughs> um, but, but when is the most discouraging time for men? They call it middle age or mid-life crisis. I'm, I'm telling you, halfway through is when we get worn out. It's like rowing a boat across a big lake. In the middle, you are worn out. But you realize to turn back is fruitless. I want to encourage you this morning. Turning back is a waste of time. When you consider, there's a song that says, I've come too far from where I've started. Nobody told me that the road would be easy, but I don't believe you've brought me this far to leave me. It is at this midway point that you need to rise up. Arise and shine. For the glory of the Lord has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It is at this point that you can't give up. You have to get up and keep on going. Keep on pressing in. You are worn out and discouraged. And maybe the only thing that sounds good is sitting still. The men of Judah, they were physically 
worn out, emotionally worn out, and they were psychologically worn out. Now, one of the biggest things that causes people to get worn out is this two-letter word. It's one letter is N, and the other one is O. I don't know if you know it, if you have ever heard it. Right? It's called no. I want to go teach you the secret of no this morning. The secret of no is this. That no is a very good answer. Amen? Let me say it again. No is a very good and acceptable answer. People don't think like no is right to say. People don't think like they are supposed to tell people no. So let me help you. See it on the screen. Look at it. It is wise to know your limits. You are not a utility box. You're a special body. Listen, listen. You're not a utility tool. You are a specific instrument of God. You are not all purpose. You are one purpose. In other words, you are not made by God to do everything. You are made by God to do something. So you have to know your limits. Not everything is for you to do. And some things need to be left undone. If the world don't fall apart, you have tomorrow. Know your limits. And learn how to say no. Come on, tell the neighbor. Say, you need to learn how to say no. Come on, just say to them. Sometimes you have to tell work no. I don't know. Maybe you don't want to tell them that, right? Because I don't know who you're beside. But, but just be careful what you're saying. No, I don't want to get you in trouble. But, but, but it's true. Sometimes you have, to t- you have to say no. And sometimes you have to tell people no. Sometimes you have to tell your kids no. Your spouse no. And that is the right answer and the best answer. Here's why. Because for if you get worn out, you can get discouraged. And then you are no good to anybody and will have to say no to everybody. If you don't start telling some people no, no, you're going to get to a place where you're so tired that you're going to have to tell everybody no and then there's going to be a problem. So you make up your mind if you're going to wait until the back end or you're going to use your no, no. I say maximize your no's now. Use them up. But don't get worn out. You need to rest. Not just sleep, but rest. Every week you need a rest day. You remember we did that? If you don't rest, if you don't lie down, God will make you lie down. He said it. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. If you don't want to lie down, God will make you lie down. Need to rest, amen? <laughs> Secondly, we get discouraged when we, we are way down. Worn out, way down. Uh, verse 10 speaks about all the rubble that was there. And all the, gar- all the garbage, some translation s- says. Right? It says, um, then the people, the workers were getting tired and there, and there is so much rubble to be moved. Alright? So, so, so what is that? They were looking at the total job. Now remember in chapter 3, every man's name was called and every person was given a specific task at a specific place. These people now took their eyes off their specific job and their specific task and they started looking at the whole picture. They started looking at the whole picture and was weighed down by the burden of how big it looked. It looked like all garbage. Well, if they look at their little pot alone, it wouldn't look as big. So instead of their section, they had miles to go and their eyes on the wrong focus. Rocks everywhere. They were trying to juggle too much. They, they let life just pile up on them. They took on more than they can manage or they could manage. They were concerned with everybody else's work instead of their specific work. Don't get weighed down by everything. Focus on your thing. Focus on your section. Focus on your task. Focus on what God has called you to do. Focus on that. How do we focus? I'm going to give you three P's that you can use to help you to focus. First, we must prioritize. 
Not only what's most urgent, but truly important. Don't be bogged down by the urgent thing so much that you don't get to do the important thing. Everybody is in a rush for you to do what they want to get done. But guess what? Your things are left undone. So figure out what are the important things. Prioritize the important things. I am not an ambulance. I'm not an emergency vehicle. I am an important person. So what is Im- I do important things first and urgent things stay. Because here is the thing. If I do all the urgent things and get them right and the important things are left out, then I'm going to be messed up. Because life tried to tell us that it is urgent. And if you don't do it now, it can't be done. That's how people sacrifice their families and their children. And they sacrifice church and stuff. Because life tells them that this is so urgent, do it now. And they forget that family is important. And God is important. And marriage is important. And children is important. They forget those things. Right? Not just do the, the thing that is most fun. But the thing that is most important. It also set aside daily time for God as a priority. Set aside daily time for family as a priority. Set aside daily time for homework as a priority. Set aside daily time for a project that's a priority and for church. So don't take the Lord's day and give it to anyone else or anything else. If this is the Lord's day where you worship God and you say it's a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday, please don't give it to anything else or anyone else. Dedicate it to the Lord and then work everything else around that. Not only because that offends the Lord, but because it's a bad testimony to others who I will be around and claim to be a Christian. So here it is that um, I'm a Christian and I tell you that God is number one in my life. Um, um, so why are you not at church today? Well, I had other things to do. Well, I, really? So let me help you, right? Many people, I, I hear people say this all right, right? Man, I have so much to do at home, I can't come to church. Have you ever heard that? I mean, how many of you think that's a very good excuse? Listen, there is no good excuse. When it comes down to God, there can't be any good excuse. I'll tell you why, right? I have a simple solution for all the clothes. Listen, like God is so good. God just gave me this wonderful idea. I'm telling you, God just loved me so much. So how I don't have clothes piled up? Listen, here's what I do. I wash very often. Because, because if I make Saturday my rest day, I'm going to have too much, my wash day, too much clothes to wash. Why do we put rules in place that put us under pressure? You control the day when you wash, and you put it on the same day when you have to go to the market, do your hair, wash your clothes. You, you put all things on that day, and then you complain that you have too much to do. Do you know that clothes can be washed on a Monday? Yes, <laughs> I'm telling you, like I'm learning these things, they're new things, they're revelation. It can be done on Monday. Your hair don't have to be done on a Saturday. You don't even have to go to the market on a Saturday. You can go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, any day. And I know, I know, yet, I know that's like a light bulb moment. <laughs> I'm, telling, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Here's the thing. So people talk about it, and I said it in the first service. You know why some of you wash the clothes even though you're under pressure and some important things are not done? Here's why. Because you want to wear them. Because if you didn't wash them, they have other clothes to wear. Because when you travel, you don't take them with you. And you wear clothes. So my question is, why you even have to wash them? Why is it important that those clothes must be washed? That you would sacrifice even your time with God to wash the clothes. When you have others. Think about it. I like it when you're silent. It means you're consenting. <laughs> that's what they say. But that's what you do. Listen, you don't have to cook every day. If, if, if cooking is a burden, fast. Two days a week. your life with unnecessary burdens if cooking is a problem you cook on Sunday it serves until Tuesday 
That's okay. Nothing is wrong. You just want something healthy. I mean, whether you cook it Monday, Tuesday, it's still unhealthy for most of us anyways. Say so don't <laughs> it stays in the fridge. It's just to fool your stomach. No, I'm helping you because, because these are the things that we say we can't spend time with God. We can't spend time with our families. We can't go out on dates anymore. We can't take out our children because we are so busy doing the urgent things. People miss prayer and miss church. Time that they dedicate to God. You, you know what's funny? But they don't miss work. Nobody is going to stay home to wash clothes and not go to work. But they will stay home to wash clothes and not go to church. Can I get a good amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. So... Make it a priority. I'm, I'm telling you, let me help. Listen, I'm learning. I'm le- people, I use disposable things. One of the biggest fights in my home used to be washing dishes and stuff. I don't know. I got this grand idea. If you use disposable stuff, you don't have to wash them. Less liquid soap, less water, less quarrels. I mean, you have like seven persons in the household. Why do you need to be washing seven cups, seven forks, seven spoons, seven plates, two pots, additional stuff? Get some disposable stuff. Throw them in the garbage. Buy them in bulk. I'm helping you because your marriage will be better off. Because every week you quarrel about leaving dirty plates in the sink. One less burden for you to bear. Amen? So we must make, we prioritize things. Secondly, we must plan. Most people don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. And that leads to bigger failure. So don't bounce around like the pinball in the machine. But learn to live by a schedule. Be organized. Plan your days. Plan your weeks. You understand? Put things in place. Don't let the planner, the person who planned their day, you know, treat you as a disorganized person. If they are planning their day and they, they, they understand that they are setting their schedule, they have to respect your schedule as well. Have to do that or else you'll be caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. Focusing on so many urgent things and get weighed down by urgent, you're forgetting the important. Also, we must plod. This means to take it a day at a time. One day at a time, see Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. Don't look at the whole job on the long term, but take the vision we laid out out in planning and have some focus. What do I need to do today? I plod away and I keep going. One step at a time. Alright, today I'm laying some blocks. Tomorrow I'm going to do the casting. The next day I'm going to put on the roof. I'm not trying to focus on everything. While I'm laying the blocks, I'm not thinking about buying the material for the roof. Because if I do that, I'm going to be so burdened by the cost of that, that I'm not here laying the blocks. So do one thing at a time. You know what they say about life? By the yard, it's hard. By the inch, what a cinch, right? And they ask, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Please do not try that at home. <laughs> right? One bite at a time. When you have big stuff, take small steps at it. Don't put additional burden. We also get discouraged when we are wasting away. Verse 11 of our text says, um, Verse 11. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. So the enemies were planning. In other words, Satan has a plan. So we might as well form a game plan too. Are you aware that Satan has a plan? Come on, tell a, tell a neighbor. Tell a neighbor, say, get a game plan. You need a game plan for your life and how you're going to live life. You need a game plan for your marriage and how you're going to live it. You need a game plan for your kids. Here's why I know. You have a game plan for your motor vehicle. Why wouldn't you have a game plan for your wife? In other words, you put an alarm in your car. The first thing most people do is get insurance for the car, game plan, and they get 
some security feature for the car, game plan, because they know somebody is going to try and steal it. Somebody is going to run into it. So here's a, let me get insurance and let me get security. When you build a house, you get insurance and you also put up grills. Why? Because you just have it in the back of your mind that somebody somewhere is planning to break into a house and I don't want it to be my house. Somebody somewhere is coming at your kids and at your marriage and at your business. Get a game plan. If the enemy is planning, you must be making plans as well. The devil's plan is to hit us when we are down and discouraged. And we don't even see him coming. The scripture, the scripture said, before they know what's happening. When you are discouraged before, it started with discouragement. And it says, before you know what's happening, the enemy comes in and he kills. So, our plan must be not to abide in discouragement, but to escape discouragement. Don't live in discouragement. Escape it. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against us in judgment shall be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. But if you go back to verse 10, it's very important. It is compounded when Joshua said it. That's how Satan can spread it to others. Then it became, we are not able. So Joshua opened his mouth. Judah, sorry. Judah opened their mouth. The devil heard it. The devil spread it. Then it became the entire city of Jerusalem. All the people. You see how it starts? One group got discouraged and said it. The devil heard it and the devil spread it. By the time you get a hold of it, everybody is discouraged. That's what happened in the text. One small portion of people opened their mouths and begin to speak words of discouragement. The devil jumps onto that. He takes it and he begins to spread it to everyone else. By the time Nehemiah gets in the picture, all the people were discouraged. That is why James warns us in James 3, 4-5, Behold also the ships, which thou they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whichsoever the governor listed. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasted great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. In other words, it takes one person to begin to speak words of discouragement for it to spread like wildfire. So what we say can be encouraging or it can be discouraging to others around us. The same is true about what we do. So let's prioritize, let's plan, and let's keep plodding along. As we close, let me give you the three steps to getting you out of discouragement. If you are discouraged this morning, I'm going to give you the cure. Hallelujah. This is the cure for discouragement. If you, you, you can keep the medication, so if you get discouraged in the future, you can use it. And if you're discouraged right now, you can go ahead and just apply it to your life. The first thing that Nehemiah did is he armed the people. If you want to get out of discouragement, step one is to be armed. Amen? Come on, tell your neighbor, be armed. You have to be ready when the enemy comes. Verse 13. Verse 13. Hallelujah. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13. It says this. So I place armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I station the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. So he said, we're not going to take the enemy's advances lying down. So he gave them swords, spears, and bows to stand up and fight before the enemy came. Because to be forewarned, is to be forearmed. They got themselves armed before the enemy came. The church is fighting reactive instead of proactive. We wait until we are in battle before we put on armor. David actually armed himself before he faced Goliath. 
Amen? In fact, remember that Saul wanted to give him some other armor. We're going to get to that. But, but too often, we are, it's in the midst of battle. That's, maybe it's a Jamaican thing, right? You know, Jamaican, we try to get into fight. And then when the fight gets hot, you know, oh, wait, I'm going to go on my yard and come back. <laughs> that's, that's a Jamaican thing. They like to go down to the yard for something. Uh, you understand me? Everybody, listen, wait, wait, let me go down. All right, I'll wait till you pass my gate. Right? I mean, by the time you do that, the battle is already done. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's how you fight, right? But, <laughs> but think about it. We already know what Satan is going to try and do. We know that he's going to attack us with discouragement. So we are foolish if we don't prepare ourselves and take up arms. You must prepare yourself. You know the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What are you doing now to prevent that from happening? So Ephesians 6, 10 to 13 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand Against the wiles of the devil. So this is now. He's saying that this is talking about before the devil arise to put you under pressure. Put on the whole armor. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. It's saying to you that an evil day is going to come to you. So before the evil day comes, be armed. It goes on to detail each piece of the armor that we ought to put on. When it comes on to being armed, do not accept any substitute. As David told Saul, I need my own armor, not another's. Don't try to be encouraged by anything other than Christ. Accept no crutch, no drug, not a hobby, not a holiday, not a movie. So what does it take to lift you from discouragement? I want you to know that no temporary help will be or should be good enough. Antidepressants are good for depression, but you need Jesus. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. If he sets you free from that depression, it's way better than any antidepressant. Don't, don't, don't believe I don't believe in medicine. But your, our reliance, our, our default should not be medication. Our default should be Jesus. For freedom. And then medication. Here's what happened. Instead of asking Jesus to uplift our spirit, the first thing we do is go to the pharmacy. We visit the pharmacy before we visit Jesus. I'm all in to medication. I take medication. Right? But when I'm depressed, I call. When my heart is overwhelmed, that's depression. I ask him to lead me to the rock. My emotional pain and trauma must be dealt with by Jesus first. No relationship can save that except this relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No parting, no alcohol can deliver me. No matter how much rum or how much wine I drink, it, it is only going to keep me up for a moment. But after that, I fall back where I was. So be armed. Accept your armor from none other than Jesus. Because none else will do. The other thing that Nehemiah did is that he assured the people. So be assured. So first be armed, then be assured. In verse 14, it says this. Let, why my Bible keeps skipping pages? Verse 14, verse 14. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Hallelujah. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Don't be afraid of the enemy. In other words, listen, your God is great and glorious. Your God, your father, Jesus, is bigger than your dad. There's a Jamaican song that says, my God is bigger than what people say. My God is bigger than what people do. They hear them talking. I hear them running up their mouth. 
But Jesus bigger than what people say. How you big so Jesus? How you big so? Listen, understand that we serve a big and mighty God. There's nothing that the enemy can bring to us. That's what Nehemiah was saying. Hey, hey, you're talking about what the enemy going on. Do you know who you serve? Remember the God, the Lord, glorious and mighty. Come on now. They're over there running up their mouth. You serve the king of kings. You serve the lords of lords. You serve the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. It, 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 if it had been written, I'm sure, Nehemiah would have quoted Romans 8.31. If God be for us, then who can be against us? That is Psalm, it says in Psalm 54 verse 4. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Listen, it is in times like these, be assured that God is your helper. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the opposite church of discouragement. They that wait upon the Lord. These people got discouraged. Because they took their eyes off God. And what God called them to do. And started focusing on the enemy. You want to get discouraged. Focus on the enemy and not on God. In a nutshell. We get discouraged. Because we take our eyes off the Lord. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the Lord. Fix your eyes on the Lord. My God is so big. So strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Listen, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? There's a story about Robert Stevenson. And it told um, of a ship being tossed by the mighty waves. The passengers were very frightened and they huddled together deep in the ship. After a while, one of the passengers decided to go see the captain. He worked his way all the way up near the the pilot's bridge. He could see through the big window. The captain saw the passenger with fear written all over his face. So seeing how afraid the man was, the captain threw in a big smile. The passenger turned to the others in the bottom of that ship and said, It's okay. We'll be fine. I just saw the captain. And guess what? He's smiling. Listen, the storm didn't change. The ship was still being tossed. All he saw was the captain smiling. And somehow he got the assurance. If the captain is happy, everything is going to be, every little thing is going to be alright. I'm telling you, as long as the captain of your ship, Jesus, is smiling, everything is going to be alright. Keep your eyes on him and not on others. Listen, don't look on the wind and the wave. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why I tell you this, church? Because peace is not found in the absence of trouble. Peace is found in the presence of God. I'm not trying to get the troubles away. I'm trying to get myself in the presence of God. Because in his presence, regardless of the troubles, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, regardless of what is happening in the world, are pleasures forevermore. Our job is not to get rid of our lives of trouble. Our job is to live in the presence of God. I think what we are trying to do is find peace by removing trouble instead of finding the presence of God. That's where true peace is. In his presence. His arms are available to you. If you let him love and encourage you. Through the body called the church. The presence of the Holy Spirit. And through the scriptures. So let me give you some of those scriptures. We're coming to a close. Psalm 18.2 The Lord is my rock and my fortress. And my deliverer. My God. My strength in whom I trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Listen, it means that there is no panic in heaven, only plans. Romans 8.28 tells me, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and to them who are called according to his purposes. I thank God. That is the assurance that I want. Finally, Nehemiah arose their spirit says at the end of verse 14 and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters your wives and your homes he says fight for them listen there is 
too much at stake to be discouraged. We cannot quit. Come on, tell the neighbor. Just say to them, there's too much at stake right now. You cannot quit. You just can't. You can't give up. You, you have invested too much to back out now. And quitters never win. And winners never quit. You see, we are not just building walls. We are fighting for our families. And all we hold there is not just brick and mortar. It's flesh and blood. A church under the glory of God is at stake. So don't give up on your church. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on what God has called you to do. I know that there are many discouragers. There are many Tobias. There are many Sanballat. So we need to join the ranks of the encouragers. Be one of those half glass half full Christians. Not half empty. When Nehemiah saw the potential of the wall. Many people saw problems. In verse 12. Others came to Nehemiah. And warned him. Of the impending danger of building the wall. And they said. They will be upon you. Nehemiah saw the potential of what the wall would look like. When Nehemiah saw hope. Many saw hopelessness. Although this opposition may have discouraged Nehemiah. He remained persistent to his God-given purpose. And so must you. I close with this poem. The author's name is unknown. Remember, a guy was sharing a story with some people and they asked him, who, who, who is the, the author of the story? He says, well, his surname is unknown. So they said, what is his first name? He said, Arthur. So this person, maybe it's the same, Arthur Unknown, that we're talking about here. But um, he says, I want to let go, but I won't let go. There are battles to fight by day and by night. For God and the right, I will never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I'm sick, this true. Worried and blue. And worn through and through. But I won't let go. I want to let go. But I won't let go. I will never yield. What? Lie down on the field and surrender my shield? No. I will never let go. I want to let go. But I won't let go. May this be my song. Mid legions of wrong. Oh God. Keep me strong. That I may never let go. See, every day we remain discouraged is a day that we are not going anywhere for God. So don't let up, don't shut up, don't back up, don't give up until you're taken up. Come on, just, just put your hand on your chest and say, I won't let up, I won't shut up. I won't back up. I won't give up until God has taken me up. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we are at different stages of this journey called life. Uh, some of us, we are in the middle. And there is discouragement. But we call on you this morning, the Lord God who is our help. The one who is a present help in time of trouble. We say, come Lord. Strengthen us again. Revive us again. We won't give up Lord. We won't let up. We won't back up. We're not going back for that is too fruitful. Fruit, fruitless. We need you. So we wait on you to renew our strength so we can mount up with wings like eagles. God, for those of us 
who are getting discouraged because we are so worn out. Teach us to rest. For those of us who we have our priorities out of place and we are weighed down by the many things we want to take on. We have become so caught up with the urgent at the expense of the important. God teach us to manage our lives and time to your honor and to your glory. Hallelujah. We will rely on you. We lean in on you. You are our strength like no other. Strengthen the weary and the weak this morning. Give us courage to carry on. We have assurance this morning that our God is bigger than what people say. He is bigger than what people do. We have confidence today that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We have confidence today that if God be for us, who can be against us? We have confidence today that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. I give you glory for your great work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen.